Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, January 5th, 2017. We'll be doing our light episode today. Although it's not a light topic. to make this week as normal-ish as possible. You gotta remember, the year's a... It's a marathon, it's not a sprint, you know. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which... Help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to compare what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles, apostolates, vision casters, and folks put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those who we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curricula we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that's how that goes. And over and again, we see that what they're teaching is not biblical. It's not actually what Scripture says. They're twisting God's Word, scratching itching ears, generally teaching for shameful gain, things that ought not to be taught anywhere, and they're going to have to explain all of this to Jesus. So we uh, do a warning work here. We try to have a little bit of fun along the way. But uh, once a week what we do is we have a light episode. We call it a light episode not because the topic is light. Uh, usually it's a lecture or a, a Bible lesson. We've been working our way through the book of Exodus. We finished Genesis a while back, and so we're working our way through the book of Exodus. And today we'll, I'm going to go on a little bit of uh, you know of a, a excursion as I kind of rework through a portion of the book of Exodus to highlight another one of the themes in the text. The oftentimes it's you can't really suck the morrow out of a particular passage just on one work through. So we engage in what we call the hermeneutical spiral, where we work through the same passage maybe one, two, three times, depending, in order to highlight and tease out different motifs or themes or biblical doctrines or teachings that are embedded and revealed in that text so that we can properly understand it as we you know, take the, you know, the scriptures, think of it like a diamond, and examine different facets of it. Today we're going to be uh, keying in on uh, those who are despising the Word of God and the fact that God's Word always is fulfilled the way He said it would be. So with that, let's get into the program proper. Open up your Bible to the book of Exodus. Uh, here we go. 
All right. Now, one of the things we do here in our Sunday school lessons, we take a look at the same passage of Scripture sometimes several times through. And this is called, in uh, theological circles, it's known as the hermeneutical spiral. And it's the idea that it's going to take several times to begin to suck the marrow out of a passage of Scripture. Last week, we looked at Exodus chapter 8 and actually some of the preceding chapters as the rumble between Yahweh and the false gods of Egypt got going. And if you remember in inning number one, it looked like Yahweh took it in the chin. But the reality of the situation is that everything went exactly as the Lord had said it would happen. The problem, the fault, was not with Yahweh. The fault was with the people of Israel who didn't pay attention to his word and believe what he had said. And so as a result of that, it led to a little bit of, shall we say, unnecessary turmoil. When Pharaoh decided that he would no longer provide the straw for them to make bricks, they freaked out. But this is exactly what God said. And you'll notice then, in the, in, as we look back at chapter 8, I want to point out a couple of things, and then we'll move forward with more of the ten plagues. And that is, is that in here, we see a constant refrain as we're working through the plagues. Not only is one of the constant refrains that Pharaoh's heart was hard or hardened, but we also hear another refrain, and that it's that these things happen just as Yahweh said. Just as Yahweh said. And these are there for our comfort and give us clues as Christians how we are to view God's word. Sometimes the upsets that we have in our life are caused by our lack of attention to what God says in his word. So we decide that we're not going to believe him or we don't even pay attention to him at all. And his words just fly right over our head like the birds heading south for the winter. And we don't pay much attention to them. And then something goes terribly well sideways in our life. And then you come to pastor and my internal dialogue goes something like this. Duh. Didn't you read God's word? Did you, were you not paying attention to my sermon just three weeks ago? I know you were here. And so the idea here is, is that we want to pick up on a particular theme in Scripture. And I'm going to note here, I'm going to do a little bit of an advanced search in my uh, Bible program. And I want you to note these passages. Now, we're going to have to weed through some of them because not every one of them deals with the topic at hand. But I, we're going to talk about the sin, if you would, of despising the Word of God. The sin of despising God's Word. Now, if you re- remember your catechism, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What does this mean? That we should fear and love God, that we do not despise preaching and His Word, but gladly hear and learn it. So the idea here is there is a sense in which despising God's word, and you think despising it means something to the effect of, well, I just heard God's word and I despise it, I loathe it. You know, go out French on it, right? Anyway, I'm getting silly. Okay, but you get the idea. So, but that's not exactly what despising God's word really means. 
Despising God's word comes in many forms. The outright hatred of it, the denial of it, but it also comes in the form of, I'm too busy to pay attention to it. Or it could be that you're sitting in church and while the word is being read and the sermon is being preached, you're working through your grocery list in your mind checking your phone and social media to see what's going on in Snapchat and Facebook. But see, so the idea here is a despising of God's word is an inattentiveness to it. And believe me when I tell you, this is your sinful nature's normal posture towards God's word. I ain't got time for it. I'm not interested in it. No, 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 no. This is what causes all kinds of problems. What we as Christians must understand is that Scripture makes it perfectly clear that the problem that we all suffer from is that we have a very corrupt and sinful nature that we've inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve. And that as a result of it, we're dead in trespasses and sins by nature and hostile to God. And all of the things that get screwed up in everybody's life, over and again, just trace it back and you sit there and go, wow, that person made a conscious decision to depart from what God would have them do. And then look at the wreckage that follows them in their life. I oftentimes think, and I may have talked about this before, that sin itself, the way it manifests itself, it's so irrational, I almost think it's a form of madness. And think in your own life. Those times when you have been most unhappy, those times in your life when things have gone poorly, when you are ashamed and you think about that season in your life, man, that was dark. What were you doing? Were you following God's word? Were you believing it? No, you were go. God said, go this way. You said, and I'm going this way. That's what you did. And then you sit there and go, why is my life all miserable? Why does everyone hate me? Because you're a sinful, selfish jerk. I'm speaking autobiographically. (laughs) Just want to make that clear. And this comes back to our chief problem. And it makes sense. Back in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam, the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And Satan came along and said, did God really Say, the first attack against humanity made in the image of God. We are the creatures that stand upright. The first attack was against the very word of God itself. And that attack continues to this day. So as a result of it, we must understand that these things going on in Scripture They're calling us. God, through His Spirit and His Word, is calling us to wake up, to see the real nature of things. You really want to learn how to live properly, to think properly, to experience, and I mean this, true peace in your life, even in the midst of trouble and suffering. You've got to stop thinking the way you would think intuitively as a sinner and learn the thoughts of God through the transforming of your mind through His Word. That make sense? Now, let me give you some cross-references here. Numbers 15.31. Numbers 15, let me get some context so we can see what's going on here. 
The priest shall make atonement. We'll start in 1528. The priest shall make atonement before the Lord, the person who makes a mistake when he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, and for him who is native among the people of Israel, for the stranger who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he's a native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord. Now, we're in Mosaic Covenant here. This is law. And to do something with a high hand is basically saying, I know what God's Word says to you, God, and I'm going to go my way. That's a high hand. You get it? This is an absolute act of rebellion and defiance against God. That person is to be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord, has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity will be on him. You sit there and go, wow, that's, um, that's some pretty heavy law. Yeah. That is really heavy law. Right? <laughs> well, <laughs> we do. At least we're supposed to. And I want you to think about this. What's our cross reference to this in the New Testament, in the New Covenant? Matthew 18. Let me show you. Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, this is not talking about a public sin where the pastor preaches false doctrine. Public sins are to be handled publicly. But if your brother or sister sins against you, which is going to happen? I don't know if you've all noticed that. It happens. How are we as Christians to handle this? Well, go to him privately, tell him his fault. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Notice here the actions then are prompted by the need of your brother to be forgiven for his sin, not you who's been offended. Okay, let's try this again. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. The reason you're going to your brother when he sins against you is for his sake, not yours. For his sake. For his sake. And, and this makes perfect sense. Because when your bro- how many times does your brother sin against you before you can stop forgiving him? 70, 70 times. It's some ginormous, ridiculously complex number, right? I don't do math. It's a dark art. Just saying. Yeah. So if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, now we've got a problem. If he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Brothers, brother, brother, you've sinned. Go pound sand. I got to go get another person. Now we've got two of us. Brother, brother, you've sinned. Repent. Get out of my house. Now he's acting in a high hand, is he not? Who's he defying? God. So if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Notice what it does not say here. This is important. When somebody sins against you, Grab your cell phone and start texting everybody to let them know what they did. So if he refuses to tell it to the church, if he refuses to listen even to the church, 
Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That is, you treat him as an unbeliever. That means he is not in fellowship. He has acted in a high-handed way against God. Because we are the community, the body of Christ, of those who are forgiven. Who are penitent. And we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And forgiveness and repentance is an ongoing daily exercise for Christians. The person who says, I'm not going to repent of my sins, says, I don't, I don't love Jesus. I don't love his forgiveness. I've got a better way. I can't really stand this whole forgiveness and repentance of things, sins things anyway. I'm sick and tired of you telling me I'm a sinner. Get out of my house. They're despising the word of the Lord. Yeah, it, it, that's right. And it hurts us all equally in that sense. Mark. You go one more verse. What does that trouble understanding that loosing on earth and binding on earth? Ah, okay. That's real simple. Let me get to it. Okay. So he refuses to listen, tells the church, okay? Uh, treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What's that a reference to? The office of the keys. See, I exercise one of the keys every church service. I, as a called and ordained servant of the word, forgive you all of your sins. That's the loosing key. Notice there's two keys, binding and loosing. So this is a reference to absolution. And so the idea then, in true church discipline fashion, and this is going to be tough for some of you to hear. You want to know why? Because some of you, you're all family members. You're blood. So what do you do when somebody who's a family member in our congregation, this is Christ's church, not your family's church, sins and refuses to repent? But pastor, if we follow Matthew 18, I know our church constitution says that that's what we're supposed to do, but if we do that, they'll never talk to us again. Yeah, that's a possibility, is it not? But what's the problem here? This is not about personalities. This is not about family. This is about somebody claiming to be a Christian who despises God's word. They will not hear it. They don't believe it. And their actions are showing it. Let me show you some other passages. Samuel. 2 Samuel twelve nineteen. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. This is Nathan the prophet speaking to King David. We all remember how the whole Bathsheba affair went. It was on the cover of the Enquirer magazine back then. I'm just saying, they had to write it out by hand. It took a while to get those things published. But, I mean, the way this went down is that well, the army went out to war, and King David, you know, he's getting a little older, a little gray in his beard, and, you know, he decided to stay back. And he's out on, the, out on the balcony, and whoa, there's a woman bathing. And he decided to invite her up. Got her pregnant. Tried to cover it all up by bringing her husband back from the front lines. But he wouldn't spend any time with his wife. So David had him murdered. And so you'll notice, the man after God's own heart, David, 
Nathan the prophet, speaking by the word of God, confronting him with his sin, says, you have despised the word of the Lord. Despised it. The word that says, thou shalt not commit adultery. To do what is evil in the sight, you've struck down Uriah the Hittite by the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. And yet, David wrote the Psalms. The Psalm that says, on your law, I meditate day and night. And this is what we have to struggle with as Christians. Our sinful nature hates God, hates His Word, despises hearing it, doesn't want to obey it, in fact has every desire to do the exact opposite of what it says. To believe the exact opposite of what it says to believe. And this is our problem. And so when we fall short, we must see it for what it is. A despising of God and His Word. It's truly what that's, what's wrapped up in it. David, you had a question. You know, a lot of times you'll see where on social media or whatever where people are pointing fingers and saying that, well, if you believe a certain way, you're a hypocrite. Yeah. And I was wondering if this is similar to that. Well, here's the you thing. Know, you got David saying, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yet he's after Right. But it's also showing us that David's human Mm -hmm. and that God has no toleration for his sins. However, he is accepting of his forgiveness because Mm -hmm. he is true to heart to the Lord. Right. So let's talk about the charge. Christians are oftentimes charged with that terrible crime of being hypocrites. Now, sometimes, and I'll be blunt, sometimes the charge sticks. It's true. And here's the reason for it. If you attend a congregation where they preach law, 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 and they sprinkle on a little gospel, law, 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 what are you going to produce? Pharisees. You're going to produce a bunch of people who think that, well, I am the cherry on top of the whipped cream of the body of Christ. And... Literally just, you know, hold me up to heaven because God is so pleased with me because of just how obedient I am. And they turn Christianity into a religion of works. And when you do that, you don't hear the gospel very often. The gospel comes up as, well, a necessary ingredient to help somebody make that decision so that they can get into the fun park of works. And then what happens is, you know, you get the stereotypical church lady where somebody is, well, they're struggling with a sin, and of course, they're not. And their prayer sounds a lot like that of the Pharisee in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I thank you, God, that I am not like all those sinners in America. Oh, that I go to church, I tithe, and I'm even on the altar guild, and oh man, I even made the treats last Sunday during the fellowship time. Isn't that special? Could it be Satan? Right? Yeah. So, unfortunately, I'm going to say this, is that pagans and unbelievers have had run-ins with these people who claim to be Christian. Here's the problem. They're not. If we take the book of Galatians seriously, where it says, you who would be justified, that means declared righteous by the law, You've been alienated from Christ and you've fallen from grace. 
We must do the hard thing and say, that person who's trying to get to heaven based upon their works in the name of Jesus will fail. Because salvation is a gift given by God, by grace, through faith. It is not a wage paid for being good. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Again, the best way to think about God's law, take the Ten Commandments and do the work and put them on a china vase and have that thing in the kiln and bring that sucker out and there's God's law on the china vase. As soon as you break one of them, the whole thing comes apart. Instead, and this is the right way to, in order to avoid the charge of hypocrisy, and this is why we can say, David is a man after God's own heart, is not because David was righteous in and of himself, but because David, just like us, is a sinner saved by grace through faith. He has received the forgiveness of God. So notice this. When we have the Lord's Supper, we all come to the rail and kneel. We're all equals. We're all equals on our knees. Christianity is entered on your knees or on your face, not on a ladder. And unfortunately, there are enough people out there who are striving to earn their salvation, who call themselves Christians, that the world sniffs it. You're sitting there telling me, I can't watch these movies with this, this rating. I can't be partying and getting drunk and doing all this kind of stuff. And they can sit, and, and that God loves you because you don't. And then they watch them like a hawk. Uh-huh. So you say you never get drunk. I saw you swerving in your car the other night, and boy, you sure did reek of whiskey to me. How is it wrong for me to be engaging in sexual immorality when you and your boyfriend are clearly not virgins? So it's best if we do not judge. No, that's not, that's not exactly the right answer. So here's what we do. We say, listen, God's word judges us all and we're all guilty. And we never turn the grace of Christ into a license to sin. When Christians fall short, you know what Christians should say? I despised God's word just like David did. I'm guilty. But as we judge others and look at them, you are swerving, you're having an affair, we are just as bad. So that's, that's where I say we should not judge because we are no better. And this is where it gets interesting, okay? I'll, I'll kind of pick up on a little theme from Scripture. Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells us to judge those inside of the church, not those outside. When we preach the law and gospel evangelistically to non-believers, the goal is for them to be brought to repentance and faith in Christ. Oftentimes what ends up happening is kind of like in the old moral majority way of doing things. We're better than you are because we keep God's law. And that's all the pagans hear, and that's not correct. What they need to hear is that, listen, we are all screwed up. We are every one of us dead in trespasses and sins by nature and at war with God. We are, and God's law was given to shut us up. Let me take you back to Romans 3 on this so you can kind of see the purpose of the law. Romans 3. This is a fun class, by the way. <laughs> Romans 3, starting at verse 9. This is a passage worth going to again and again. The Apostle Paul which he begins an argument 
halfway through Romans chapter 1, and this is the conclusion of the argument in chapter 3. He asks the question, Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. There, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Anyone want to hazard a guess to what the word all means in this context? It means all. Everybody. The only exception is Christ. All right, we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Fire Christian. Quick break when we come back. The balance of today's lecture as we ramble our way through the book of Exodus. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Gentlemen, we have two basic suggestions for the design of this megachurch, and I thought it best that the architects themselves came in to explain the advantages of both designs. That must be the first architect now. Ah, yes, this is Mr. Wapcat of Finkel, Dewey, and Grime. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, yes, the design I've devised for the new worship center has all the aesthetic beauty of the Crystal Cathedral with all the advantages of modern technology. Um, the congregants step through these wide double doors here are carried along the corridor on a conveyor belt in extreme comfort past the youth worship basement, the adult worship rock and roll arena, the monster truck smashing train, and into the Sarlacc pit. The last 20 feet of the corridor are heavily soundproofed. The congregants slide down these chutes here into the open mouth... Excuse me. Hmm? Did you say Sarlacc Pit? Um, Sarlacc Pit, yes. Uh, are, are you proposing to digest our congregants over a thousand years? Does that not fit in with your plans? No, it does not. We wanted a simple megachurch, not a death trap. Ah, I see. I hadn't correctly defined your attitude towards the congregants. Uh-huh. You see, I mainly design occultist cathedrals. Yes, pity. Mind you, this is a real butte, not your average satanic mosque with people's beating hearts being ripped out of their chest or burning sulfur pits and convincing passers-by with burnt eyebrows. I mean... My life has been building up to this. Yes, and well done. But we did want a mega church and not a temple of doom. Well, may I ask you to reconsider? I mean, you've no idea how modern and relevant this place can be. Think, think of the tourist trip. No, no, it's not going to work for us. By the way, um, why the Sarlacc pit? Well, it's a pretty standard feature in all of my projects. You see, if you're going to preach heresy, you might as well not even bother waiting. Just send them to the afterlife quickly, is what I've always said. You mean heaven? <laughs> You are so f- 
money. Thank you. You may leave now. Hypercritical puss buckets. My apologies, gentlemen. The next architect is Miss Parsons of Cromwell and Hague. Good afternoon, gentlemen. As you may notice from my scale model, the design takes us back to our ancestral Christian roots. Observe the white bell tower, the baptismal font, the organ at the back of the Stop! church, and... I beg your pardon? You've completely missed the whole point of the mega church. Uh, you've made something irrelevant. How is the seeker-driven church going to attract prospective customers? I mean... Uh, congregants. Isn't church about worshiping Jesus Christ and hearing and learning his word? Jesus has got nothing to do with this. We need tithers, not decrepit old people clinging to their cracked leather Bibles and going on and on about how the music's too loud and how the preacher doesn't read enough scripture, complaining about the coffee shop in the main foyer and how they charge too much for a double chocolate spring hazelnut latte. But they still pay the fourteen ninety nine for the latte because the water in the drinking fountain tastes like arsenic. <clears throat> That's enough, Miss Parsons. The answer is no. Very well, gentlemen. Have a good day. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today.
Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor's too busy during his sermons to actually, you know, preach the word. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. You can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at twenty four ninety five a month, Master Gunner at forty nine ninety five a month, and then Quartermaster at ninety nine ninety five a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of today's Roseboro's rambling through Exodus as we consider the word of the Lord and those who despise the word of the Lord. Here we go. Their throat is an open grave. This is the description of me. This is a description of you. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So that's what the law's verdict is for every one of us. God's law looks at everybody and says, you are godless. And then he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And here are the important words. So that every mouth may be stopped. That's a polite way of saying so that God can tell everyone to shut up. And shut up in this sense. Yeah, but God, I, I really meant to do good. Be quiet. But God, but God, but God, I, it was only a white lie. Silence. But God, but God, I loved him. I know it was wrong, but we intended to get married. Be quiet. And the reason you need to be quiet is because God has another word. The law says guilty, and you cannot get the gospel until you get that part. Guilty. And the whole world now is held accountable to God. Verse 20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified, that means to be declared righteous, in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, we have the law written on our hearts. We intuitively think this is how Christianity works. I transgress God's law. I fall short. I recognize I screwed up, go my bad, and then I try harder. And then the harder I try, the better I get at keeping God's law. And eventually, I experience enough life change and transformation in my life that God says, well done. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. You cannot be saved. You are not made right with God by being gooder, trying harder, 
If that were the case, then those people who have figured out how to actually keep their New Year's resolutions are going to heaven. Haven't yet figured out how to do that. (laughs) Stupid things. Anyway. (laughs) Right? Yeah. My, I made a resolution years ago and I've kept it. Never making another one. <laughs> it's the only one I've ever kept. <sighs> the text continues, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Notice whose righteousness it is. It's God's. has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. The righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who what? Believe. Are you saying, Pastor, that those who believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins are going to heaven? Duh! The thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today you will be with me in paradise. Which works did he do? I don't see him feeding poor people in the soup kitchens. Salvation is a gift given and it is grasped by believing. But notice this. Believing absolutely presupposes not a despising of God's Word, but a trust in God's Word. God's Word says I'm guilty. This is true. God's Word says I'm saved not by anything I've done, but by everything Christ has done for me. This is true. Amen. You mean you're saved? I know for a fact, Roseboro, you're a jerk. Yeah, I know. When I get to heaven, the whole, the, I'm telling you, the mansion values are going to plummet in whatever neighborhood Jesus sticks me in. They're going to be really upset. There are, there, no joke, there are tax collectors, prostitutes, all kinds of rank sinners Right now, in heaven, when I show up, they're going to go, oh, there goes the neighborhood. (laughs) He's letting anybody in now. What did Paul say about himself? This is a trustworthy saving. Saying, Christ died for sinners of whom I am the chief. There is no hypocrisy in biblical Christianity. In fact, one can argue... If you rightly understand God's law and the gospel and true biblical Christianity and you do not despise his word, if you rightly understand it, then there is only one error in all of scripture. And that's what Paul said, that he's the chief of sinners. If you're honest with yourself, you say, yeah, no, I think I got that one. I think I got that one. There's no hypocrisy in that none you know you're not getting what you deserve i know i'm not getting what i deserve and that's the gospel and that's what makes it such good news so tell that over again how are god all right real simple i'm not saved by anything i've done i'm saved by everything that christ has done i'm a sinner just like you but I know where the forgiveness is. It's in Christ. There's nothing hypocritical about saying the truth about yourself. The one who thinks that they're saved by their good works doesn't say the truth about themselves. They talk about how good they are rather than confessing how sinful they are. 
that by nature automatically turns them into a hypocrite because they're putting on a false front. See the difference? Now, all of this is preface. I want to come back and take a look at Exodus 8. And I want to note here, so our theme is, is not despising God's Word. And if you remember when the children of Israel experienced resistance from Pharaoh, Pharaoh gave them the same task of producing bricks without any straw, and they freaked out. We've become a stench in the nostrils of Pharaoh. But did God not tell them this would happen? The answer is yes, he did. So the fault lies with them. And you'll notice then, as we walk through these parts of the plagues, that there's a noticeable change in the refrain and and what's going on with the people of Israel. Exodus 8. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, say to him, Thus says Yahweh, Let my people go, that they may serve me. If you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all of your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, into the ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all of your servants. And all the little girls in Egypt went, ah! <laughs> You ever seen a little girl freak out with a frog? I just, that and snakes and mice. I just, I don't get it. Okay. So Yahweh said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff, make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. The frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt, but the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land. Now, last week I mentioned that Pharaoh's magicians, we know the names of two of them, two of them. They are Janus and Jambres. Open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is going to help us with this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's in the New Testament. We're going to start at verse 1, and I'm going to tell you this. The magicians of Pharaoh are type and shadow. The type and shadow they point to are the false teachers in the church today. How do I know this? Let's read. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving the good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Pause here for a second. It's like, wait a second. What is he saying this is in the last days for? This sounds like how people have been from like day one. Here's the distinction. Paul is not describing the world. He's describing the visible church in the last days. We continue. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. This is taking place in the church. And Paul says, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, 
so that these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Janus and Jambres, there's your names. Those are the names of two of the magicians of Egypt, the Pharaoh. And what does it say about them? They oppose the truth. Always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. This is what it means and what it looks like to despise God's word. So you read in God's word. It says, same-sex attraction and same-sex sex is a sin. Nope, I oppose that. We're going to marry people of the same sex and we're going to ordain people who are practicing homosexuals. Always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, opposing the truth, just like Janus and Jambres. The magicians of Egypt are in type and shadow of the false teachers within the church today. You see it? This is a tough word, Pastor. I don't know what you've been drinking, but man... I want to quit those energy drinks or whatever. How much, how much coffee did you have exactly? So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters. The frogs came up. The magicians did the same by their secret arts, made the frogs come up on the land of Egypt. They're opposing the truth. They are literally opposing the truth. Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said to them, Plead with Yahweh, take away the frogs from me, from my people. I'll let the people go to sacrifice to Yahweh. Moses said to Pharaoh, All right, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people so that the frogs may be cut off from you and your households to be left only in the Nile. And he said, Tomorrow. Moses said, Be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people, and they shall be left in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh Moses cried to Yahweh about the frogs. Watch this. He cried to the Lord. Moses is praying. As he had agreed with Pharaoh. Verse 13. And Yahweh did according to the words of Moses. I cannot overemphasize this. Christian prayer is vital. God hears you when you pray. And here we have a picture of it. Moses prayed. God heard Moses and God did according to whose words? Moses's. The devil would have you think your prayers are nothing. He's lying to you. God hears your prayers. And there are many times when God will act according to your words. So never stop praying. In fact, I think I've made this point recently and I'll make it again. It's worth reemphasizing. I find it fascinating that when Christianity goes rogue, prayer is one of the things that the devil goes after. And I mean it. You think about... Think about the people in Roman Catholicism. They have them praying to saints. I am sorry, but that line has been disconnected 
Praying to them amounts to nothing. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ. So praying to a saint is a waste of your time. The saint cannot hear you. The saint will not respond. Praying to God, God hears your words. And this text says that the Lord did according to the words of Moses. Cut out the middleman. Pray to Christ. He will act. And sometimes he will even act according to your words. So the frogs died out. And the houses, the courtyards, the fields, they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. I am so glad I don't have to smell that. I I do not want to scratch and sniff a Bible at this point. (laughs) Do y'all remember those books? (laughs) Maybe it was like a 70s thing. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. We had scratch and sniff books, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I apologize. I've just derailed myself. All right. Now, here's the other part of it. When Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them. So notice he's hardening his heart and he's not listening to them. But whose words are Moses and Aaron speaking? Yahweh's. So Mo, Pharaoh is hardening his heart against the word of Yahweh. Against Yahweh himself. Yahweh has come to him through his words in his prophet, Moses and Aaron. But everything was going as Yahweh had said. So as we kind of tease this piece out of the text, we're seeing here that everything is happening exactly the way the Lord said it would happen. And we should not be surprised because you know what? God never lies. Never. And if he never lies, then when he says forgiven, you're forgiven. So we trust God's word, not, well, what we think is reasonable what we think is rational, what we think, well, in the scientific age, I mean, we, after all, we live in the, the, the era of the iPhone. We're so much different now because the iPhone has shown up. We're smarter. I don't know if you've noticed, I think iPhones are starting to make people dumber. Yeah. Smartphones make dumb people. So Yahweh said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth so that it may bring, so it may become gnats in all the land. We noted that this is a creative miracle. These gnats were created. In the, uh, in the sheet that I showed you, the word lice is there. Now this is kind of an interesting thing. I learned from somebody this week that lice, as an English word and how it was used in the past in English, represented a how we say, a spectrum of really disgusting, obnoxious critters. It can include hair lice. It also includes gnats. So the old English word lice kind of covers gnats, but I think gnats are the things that are covered in this text. And we notice that Seb, the earth god of Egypt, went down in flames with these gnats showing up, completely powerless against Yahweh. 
So it became gnats in all of the land of Egypt. They did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast, and all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians, Jonas and Jambres, tried their, by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not do it. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Yeah, when those who are opposing the truth come to you and say, dude, you better surrender, take note. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them just as Yahweh had said. So notice the theme. Yahweh speaks, it happens. Yahweh said it was going to happen this way, it happens. Those who are opposing God are opposing and despising His Word. Now, how does this then impact your view of the Bible? What do we have in the Bible? What is it? It's God's Word. Which part? All of it. From Genesis to Maps. God's Word is living, active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It will expose your sin, but it will also preach Christ to you and the forgiveness of your sins. It will show you what it looks like to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And it will show you those areas in your own life that are going poorly because of your despising of God's Word. And that's what you have to see is every place in your life when you are sinning, you are despising what God's Word says. And sometimes those consequences are God's way of disciplining us to wake us up. Going back to the theme from our, our sermon today, sleeping is likened to, well, resting in your sins. They're so warm and comfy. and Oh, I, I'm too tired to wake up. Let me hit the snooze button again. Wake up! This is the stuff that's sending us to hell. Wake up! This isn't freedom. This is slavery. See it for what it is. God's Word says this. Don't despise it. Believe it. So then Yahweh said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning. Present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water. Say to him, Thus says Yahweh, Let my people go so that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground in which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people." Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And Yahweh did so. He always does exactly what He says He's going to do, does He not? There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. And the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. So then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, go, sacrifice to your God within the land. Moses said, No, it wouldn't be right for us to do so. The offerings we shall sacrifice to Yahweh our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? 
we must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to Yahweh our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, well, I will let you go to sacrifice to Yahweh your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far. Plead for me. So then Moses said, behold, I'm going out from you and I will plead with Yahweh that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh and from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to Yahweh. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked. There it is again. He prayed and the Lord did as Moses asked. Brothers and sisters, God, believe it or not, wants you to pray to Him and He will act according to your words. He will hear your petitions. He will give you what you ask for. Scripture says there are times when we have not because we ask not. This shows us the truth about our relationship with God. He hears us and will act on our behalf as we have asked. So the Lord did as Moses asked. Remove the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and his servants and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. He's hardening his heart against God's word. No, it doesn't give us an exact time frame. We do know there was a seven-day period between um, the, uh, the Nile turning to blood and the next plague after that. There was a seven-day cooling off period, if you would. But the, it doesn't give us the time frame for the rest. Now, I'm going to no- make this quick note. We're going to look at the next plague, and I want to draw a connection. I want you to see that there's a connection between the ten plagues and the plagues given in the book of Revelation, just by way of cross-reference. So Yahweh said to Moses, chapter 9, Go to Pharaoh, say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of Yahweh will fall with a very severe plague on your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time saying, Tomorrow Yahweh will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Just like Yahweh said, And Pharaoh sent, And behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Now a little bit of a note here. I've made this point, I'll make it again. God's going to go all Burger King on Pharaoh. Remember the commercials? Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Da, da, da. Yeah, never mind. The jingle, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. For those of you who are too young to remember, that was an old Burger King jingle. And Burger King made a big deal about, you can have it your way. That was their big slogan. You can come to Burger King and you can customize your burger. You can have it your way. So God's going to go all Burger King on Pharaoh pretty quick here. Let's continue. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
Take handfuls of soot from the kiln. Let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. Oh man, this has got to hurt throughout all of the land of Egypt. Have you ever watched the YouTube channel, Dr. Pimple Popper? <laughs> Look it up on YouTube. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. It, it'll give you graphic examples of what it takes to get rid of these things. Okay, <laughs> Dr. Pimple Popper, she's a, <laughs> she's a dermatologist who videos her procedures and puts them on YouTube. It's so entertaining. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a great cure for insomnia. I, not that I would know anything about that. Anyway. <laughs> so it become fine dust over the land of egypt become boils breaking out in sores and making and on man and beast throughout all the land of egypt they took soot from the kiln stood before pharaoh moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast the magicians could not stand before moses because of the boils so the boils came on the magicians and upon all of the egyptians but yahweh hardened here's the change now God goes all Burger King on him. But Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. This is not good. This is taking the day of judgment and bringing it into the present. Fine, have it your way. And you're on your way to hell. Is a warning for us to not persist in hardening our heart and despising the word of the Lord. Now, a little bit of a note here. There are two other times when some of the plagues from the ten plagues in Exodus show up in Scripture. When Christ is hanging on the cross, there is darkness over the earth for three hours. That darkness harkens back to the darkness as one of the ten plagues. And then when you go into the book of Revelations, particularly Revelation chapter 16, you will see that some of the plagues and the judgments that God is pouring out on the earth in the last days during the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation as it's revealed will happen, these plagues make a reappearance. And it's not a one-for-one one thing because there's, there's other plagues that show up. But if you look at Revelation chapter 16... We'll just note this briefly. Here's what it says. I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful, painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Notice, in Revelation 16.2, the boils make a reappearance and God is distinguishing here between those who've taken the mark of the beast and those who are his in Christ. Same thing shows up. So the idea then is, is that these ten plagues, they, although this is a real historical event, they have significance to the coming judgment of God on the earth that's, that in the last days. second angel poured out his bull into the sea, became like blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. You see it? So you see, these plagues reappear. They're coming back. They're coming back. So that's kind of the idea. These are, these are 
you know, what God poured out on Egypt, and Egypt representative of really all of pagan, false deity worshiping mankind in type and shadow, that's in microcosm. This is going to make a reappearance and it's going to be global. David? Okay. Previously, we, we had spoke about the how uh, that we are not to judge uh, others or, or but only judge the ones uh, inside the church, mm-hmm. not judge the ones outside the church. Mm-hmm. This is kind of type and shadow to that. That Okay, have it your way. I'm going to deal, I'm going to help these people here on your own. Mm-hmm. Right? Is, is, that, is that the deal there? Well, it's, it's kind of along the lines of, listen, we have been given a gospel to proclaim. We have a message to deliver to the world from God. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And the call of the gospel is repent and believe and be forgiven. That's the call of the gospel. And what does Jesus tell us to do if they don't listen to us? change our strategy, maybe heart soften up the message a little bit. No. Jesus says, shake the dust off your feet and move along. So the idea then is this, is that not judging the world in the sense, the world is doing what the world does because the world is the world and the world is dead in trespasses and sins. This is just what they do. And so the purpose of the government is to keep the world in check and to keep evil from getting out of control. That's the government's job. Our job is to preach the eternal gospel. And God's going to bring people in, bring them to repentance, give them faith, and then they're going to start bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. But because we've been set free from sin, death, and the devil, we do not allow within uh, among us those who persist impenitently in sin. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Here's the idea. Christ has promised to be here for us. Where two or more are gathered, Christ is there among us. And this is different than God's omnipresent because God is here. Christ is here to feed you, to forgive you, to bind up your wounds, give you his body and blood and give you an absolution and equip you and build up your faith so that you're ready to go out and do your vocation and your vocational work. But that does not mean that God has not left a witness out there. We are sent, once we leave here, we're out there. As you're going, make disciples. Tell people about Jesus. Tell them about the forgiveness of sins. God's going to raise some of them from the grave. God's going to give them faith and then bring them in here. We'll, We'll continue the job of discipling them. And the person who says, listen, Dave, I'm sick and tired of you telling me about Jesus. Can you just put a cork in it? Say, sure, I'd be happy to do that. They despise God's word. They don't want to hear it. Move on. Right. You can continue to pray for them. And God may not be done with them, you know, because then they're done talking to David Fagerlin and then they are there at Walmart and, you know, some lady in the line tells them all about Jesus. I mean, if God's really after them, he's going to hunt them down and drag them into the kingdom kicking and screaming. I've heard plenty of stories from people who were pagans. Everywhere they turned, people were talking about Jesus. It was driving them nuts. The story of C.S. Lewis, how he was converted to Christianity, kind of goes along those lines. I mean, he was an Oxford professor in medieval literature and was quite hostile to Christianity and was practicing witchcraft. And God sent a series of students who kept kind of just preaching the gospel to him and blowing up his worldview with the scriptures. And eventually he says he was brought kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. Last place he wanted to be was in church, and there he is. And he became one of the greatest Christian apologists of the 20th century. Great defender of the faith. So, something to consider. Yes, ma'am. Is there any kind of a link from 
Paul saying the two magicians? How does Paul know that from... Okay, that's a great, que- that's a great question. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't know that from Exodus. He knows it from the book of Jasher. From where? The book of Jasher. Now, there is a, there is a, the best way to put it is, is that there was a book. You can read it online. It's a fascinating book. It's called the book of Jasher. And the book of Jasher gives us Jewish oral tradition that kind of that was outside of Scripture. And the reason it doesn't make it into Scripture is because it's clearly errant. And it clearly has some kind of wonky theology going along with it. But the idea is, is that there is some information in like the book of Jasher as well as the book of Enoch. Some of that information makes it into Scripture. And this is how we know where they got this from. And so what happens is, is that God the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, picks up a piece of the book of Jasher and just plugs it in, and we now know, okay, these two guys were legit. That part of this Jewish tradition is true, but it's inserted in a way that doesn't require us to believe all of the nonsense in the book of Jasher. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so that's where it comes from. All right, we'll pick this up next week. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by carry death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>